Joan, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network. And your host with the most on the West Coast, California and Fury. A joy and honor, a privilege to be with you all once again. And speaking again of a joy, honor and privilege, I get to speak to a guy right here, right now that I got to watch perform when I first became a professional wrestling fan in the 90s. I'm excited to talk to this guy. I can't wait. You may remember him as Scotty Tihotti. It is the one and only Scott Garland. How are you, sir? Hey, dude. How you doing, Carl? I'm doing great, my friend. Thank you for taking the time to have a yarn with me. Uh, it's uh, certainly an honor to, ch- to chat with you here today. And uh, first question, Scott, as usual on the show is, when you were a young man, how did you become a fan of professional wrestling? Dude, oh, to go back to like when I was 10 years old, I think that's why I would say like my very first memory is somewhere around 10, somewhere around like the very first WrestleMania. Like I, I have memories of, of I went to one show I remember with my dad when maybe I was like five years old. And then uh, I remember Andre the Giant was there. That's all I remember. I fell asleep and I remember Andre the Giant was there. Uh, but uh, it was right around the first WrestleMania. And dude, I was hooked from the beginning. It's all I ever wanted to do. Yeah, I've done about 100 or so interviews at the moment at this stage, and it seems to be the same case with everyone. As soon as they saw it, that was it. They were hooked. Nothing else could change uh, the trajectory of where they were no. headed in their life. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, so, it's, okay. still all I, it's still all I want to do, you know, <laughs> all these years later. So <laughs> That is super cool. Um, so, okay, uh, 10 years old when you first become a fan, there has to be a point in time where you – find a way of getting into the business. Uh, I'm sure you've had this question many times before, but for those out there that may not be aware, how did Scott Garland get into the wrestling business? Uh, so there was, there was a, a friend of mine that I had known since uh, kindergarten. Uh, he lived down the road and we reconnected years later and I found out he was a wrestling nerd just like me. And uh, we started wrestling at his house in his uh his basement he had like some ropes tied to the poles in his basement you know and and uh we would drag the mattress downstairs and then he and i met these two other dudes that uh they were just like us you know and uh, the four of us started kind of wrestling together uh in my mom's garage we had like 18 mattresses in there and we just uh we learned what we saw we you know we tried to do what we saw on tv and then uh we met a guy who, who had bought a boxing ring and he was converting it to a wrestling ring. And uh, he said he was going to be doing some shows. And uh, sure enough, he did his first show on uh, November of 1989. And he booked us on it. It was half boxing, half wrestling. And, uh, and that was our start, you know, and then from there uh, we just, uh, uh, we, we would meet people who would help get us booked in other shows. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And, you know, nobody was going to tell us no. And we just kept pushing forward. And, uh, you know, eventually I was working uh, pretty much wrestling every weekend in, in Massachusetts, down south of Boston. And uh, that's, you know, where I got a lot of my first experience, just consistently wrestling every single weekend at, you know, 16, 17 years old, you know. Right. Well, that, yeah, you're very young at that stage as well. Uh, so um, that's very interesting to be at that age and to be doing it at that point. Um, you, as you were saying, you know, you meet people, you make connections, they help you get booked here and there. Uh, I know you've again probably been asked this before, but how were you able to get uh, some work with the WWF back in the 90s? So I was working for those, the, the, the company that I just spoke of down in uh uh, New Bedford, Massachusetts, and I met this guy named Phil Apollo, who had done some work for like World Class in Dallas back in the 80s, and uh, ICW, which was a big company around here in the Northeast uh, in the 80s and 90s. Uh, he was Playboy Vince Apollo in, in Dallas, and then he was Fabulous Phil Apollo in, um, up in the Northeast, but he was doing some extra work for, uh, for WWF at the time, and I met him on one of those shows, and then Dude, I was like uh, 17 years old working at a KFC 
and uh and uh i got a phone call in the back one day and uh he was uh, he he tracked me down because he remembered when we met that i told him i worked at a kfc so he tracked me down he called a, a bunch of different kfcs and uh asked if i wanted to go do some extra work for wwe and that was it yeah that must have been mind blowing for you at that age. And uh, I, I, I wanted to uh, get into this a little bit because uh, I, I spoke to a bunch of guys that did like that enhancement type work, uh, like Dwayne Gill, Barry Horowitz, uh, Bob Cook, uh, Scoot Andrews, Rip Rogers, uh, that have done this kind of thing in their career before. Yeah. Um, so that uh, this is an important role. And, and I think a lot of people out there, you know, I always would say, you know, uh, when I see someone say something disparaging about a Barry Horowitz or a Dwayne Gill and say, oh, you know, that was just a jobber or whatever. I always get annoyed because it's like, if it weren't for these guys, then the guys at the tippy top don't mean anything. You need these right. guys. They're, they're just as important, right. I feel. Uh, so what my question was to you was, what qualities do you feel are important in enhancement talent role? And, and what do you feel you learned uh, the most through this time period? I think it's just knowing what your role is. You know, and your, your role is to make that superstar that you're wrestling look the best you can. It's not about you. You know, there should be no focus on you. Um, you really want to blend in as, and, and not be noticed as much as possible because you don't want that to really be your role forever, right? Like um, you want to, you don't want to stand out too much to where people remember you just kind of want to blend in, make that guy look good as, as possible. And, uh, and uh, that's really your job, you know, but at the same time, be noticed by management, right? It must be tricky trying to trying to do both at the same time. Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, I I know I, from... dude, I I uh, I value that time. You know, like people, like I know what you're saying. Like people will knock on those people. You know, mm. and uh, it's like, dude, I was in high school doing that. You know, while you sit behind your keyboard on Twitter, gunning people down and calling them jobbers, what were you doing at high school? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I'm totally cool with that time. Uh, it gave me a, it gave me a platform to be noticed, to be seen, you know, here I am a teenage kid, you know, in a dressing room with Undertaker and Hulk Hogan and, you know, Sid Vicious and these Mr. Perfect, Sean, like, like Bret Hart, like the list goes on and on. I'm a teenage kid in high school <laughs> with these, you know, like, so I value that time and I wouldn't have done it any, any other way. Like people ask me today, like, how do you, how do you get to WWE now? You know, I don't know if there's one way like anymore. You know, not that there ever was, but like at least that was a pipeline in and to get to get known, right? Absolutely. Um, and I, from uh, I guess my research and just from uh, other things I've read or heard about over the years, uh, you did have a few fans of yours backstage there: Pat Patterson, Bruce Pritchard. Uh, from my uh, research, uh, please tell me if I'm wrong, but uh, I believe you also were about to work some tryouts for ECW. Uh, Bruce found out and then made sure that he signed you to a contract. Could you tell me a little bit about that situation? No, I actually, uh, so I didn't know this story till till within the last couple of years when Bruce told it on his podcast, but apparently Pat and Bruce had gone to a Kowalski independent show to a killer Kowalski independent show to see uh, triple H work. They'd heard about him and they went to watch him take a look at him. And I happened to be on the same show. And they saw me and I had already been doing, you know, extra work uh, for years at this point, but they'd never really seen me have a real match, you know, um, uh, outside of WWF. Um, so they went, they saw me there, but then, no, I actually worked uh, two, two trial matches for ECW. Uh, and then where I worked Taz at uh, TV tapings for, for ECW. And uh, they actually offered, said that they wanted to do something with me after the tryout matches. But I'd already talked to Bruce Pritchard uh, earlier that week. And he, he said he wanted to talk to me, speak to me on the phone that, the following week. So this would have been after the ECW uh, tryouts. And uh, so uh, that's, and that's when they, they offered me the first contract in 97. Right, and what a time to get signed, that's for sure. Just as uh, yeah, right? things, <laughs> things are on the brink of exploding. Um, right. We and, didn't know that we, then, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I really, you know, this is the time period that I had become a fan of, of, of wrestling. And uh, so I came I mean, Who wasn't at that fan. time, right? Exactly, bro. Uh, well, I live in Perth, Western Australia, the most isolated city in the world. And 
no matter where you went, someone was wearing an Austin 316 shirt, an NWO shirt, a DX shirt, all the shirts, anywhere you went, you'd run into people that were wrestling fans. Even yeah, it was, was the like, same here. Yeah, yeah. it's just it's crazy. It's crazy. Crazy time. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so being there on the brink of this craziness, especially with, uh, you know, the Monday Night Wars are already underway for, you know, the better part of uh, a couple of years at that point. Uh, I wanted to ask, and I know you've probably again been asked this a million times, but the idea of being put with Brian Christopher in uh, the team too much, uh, whose idea was it to put you guys together in that team and, you know, the names, you know, that you both had and, and be called too much? Yeah, I honestly don't know whose idea it was to, to just throw us together in the Battle Royal at WrestleMania. And that's where it all started. You know, we were just kind of thrown together. And then, uh, you know, I, I, I ran into Vince McMahon the day of WrestleMania, getting a coffee and, you know, thanked him for putting me on the show. It just happened. We're like, we're getting a coffee at the same time. And I uh, thank him for putting me on a show. And I'd actually, um, on those uh, Massachusetts shows I was telling you about, uh, when I first was first starting out, I had actually wrestled as Scott Too Hot Taylor a few times for a short, short, short time. And uh, so I told him, you know, thanks for putting us together. And, and I, I don't know if you know this, but, you know, I used to wrestle as Scott Too Hot Taylor. And, Brian, you know, I know Brian's too sexy, Brian Christopher. So I don't know if there's anything to that. And, he, and, you know, and he said, oh, thanks for telling me, you know, let me think about that. And the next week we were too much. So that's how it all started, man. Right place, right time. And uh, if we hadn't had that conversation, you know, uh, who knows what would have happened. <laughs> Might have been a one-off at WrestleMania, you know? <laughs> right. It's kind of like the butterfly effect. You never know what would have happened if that one yeah. little thing didn't happen. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it is WrestleMania 14 on March 20th, 29th, uh, 15 Tag Team Battle Royal. It, for you, at this stage of your life, this has got to feel pretty special uh, to perform in a WrestleMania. Um, you know, how were you feeling with all that? Oh, it was a bit surreal, you know, because I went from sitting home for about six months and not doing anything to get in a phone call on Wednesday saying you're going to be on WrestleMania, you know, and in, in this tag team battle Royal with Brian Christopher, which it made no sense because I'd been a baby face up to that point. He was a heel. We had been, you know, wrestled a million times against each other. And then all of a sudden we're just thrown in there. Um, so yeah, it was a bit surreal. Like I, I, uh, I remember we did a, uh, a show i think it was on friday before wrestlemania i don't know if you remember this it was a um, they called it the dx workout it was outside and uh, at city hall in boston and i mean there were thousands of people out there it was crazy crazy crowd and uh you know mike tyson was there with dx and and uh and uh i, I had a match with taka michinoku and uh it was just, it was insane, you know, so and we had a, like a pre-show meeting in the hotel before the show, and I remember like Vince McMahon is there, Mike Tyson's there, Shawn Michaels there, like Triple H, and uh, I'm going, how the heck, you know, how the heck did I get here? You know, two days ago, two days ago, I was sitting home getting ready to be released, and now here I am sitting in this meeting with this, you know, and it was a small crew. There were maybe three matches, so it wasn't like it was the whole locker room it was just a you know 10 people sitting in this meeting with Vince McMahon and Mike Tyson and I'm like what the <laughs> heck is going on here so it was pretty cool yeah I was interested about that when I was doing my research because I thought to myself it's strange that they they weren't even just doing house show stuff together leading up to being a team they just debut in the battle royal so now i've got the answer um mm -hmm. and you both work a lot uh early on with uh taka michinoku and uh mr aguila who many might know as sa rios uh as well as the headbangers um i want to know like you know the early days of you and brian teaming together uh how were you two working uh as a tag team did it take long to gel was the chemistry there the chemistry in the ring was there right away i, f I felt like um I, I don't know if it was immediate you know looking back on it it feels like it was immediate but i yeah. we were never really close you know we never we never had a uh, uh, it was always kind of a weird relationship outside of the ring we were never i wouldn't say friends you know we i think we got friendly later you know later in the last few years of his life but uh at first it was there was no chemistry at all backstage 
but when we went through that curtain, man, like sometimes we wouldn't even talk before we went out. And then it was like, it was a magic. Once the music hit, we went through that curtain for some reason. I, I can't even explain it. No, that is, it's interesting that it worked out that way. Cause it seems like you two would have been really close chums, but it, it, you know, that, that wasn't what it was. And it, it, this is still what was uh, created out of it. You know, props to both of you. Uh, yeah, it's, it's all good. <laughs> King of the Ring 1998, I wanted to ask about this one. Uh, Jerry, the King Lawler, is a special guest referee. You're against Al Snow and Head. Uh, just wanted to know how you felt about, uh, you know, this, I guess it's kind of like the first angle you guys were a part of, uh, which led to the victory overhead with the head and shoulders uh, shampoo uh, jammed into the head. Thought that was a very interesting way to finish a match. How, how was that experience? Um, it was about the same as watching it, probably. <laughs> Very awkward. <laughs> and it's weird because that overshadows that other guy taking the fall off the top of the cage later in the show, right? <laughs> no, it was that, that finish was actually Jerry Lawler's idea. And it, I mean, it seemed crazy. It seemed crazy. And it's still like looking back, it's like, oh, oh. but people still talk about it. So I don't know. It's pro wrestling, man. That's that's why I had to bring it up, bro. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. The next thing I wanted to talk about because this is this is like my favorite era of tag team wrestling, uh, just for, from my perspective. Uh, this the division in in the World Wrestling Federation from like '98 till you know the early 2000s. There were so many teams, and, and I'm just going to list a bunch of them off because I want everyone out there to realize how many were there at the time. You got the Hardys, Dudleys, Edging Christian. You got Owen Hart and Double J. You've got Too Much. You've got the APA. You've got the Headbangers, the Outlaws, Kai and Tai, Main Street Posse, the Holly Cousins, Rock and Sock Connection, Disciples of Apocalypse, and even teams like Midian, Viscera, and uh, Droz and Albert. The the division was so thick. Uh, please tell me, uh, you know about you know, the division at the time, because I really feel like it was completely underrated and people don't realize just the difference between tag team wrestling and the company these days compared to then, it seems like there's not as many established teams as there were at that time. Yeah, oh, it was definitely uh, probably the peak of tag team wrestling. You know, it was, it was close in the eighties, I think, you know, when I was a kid, when you had, you know, Demolition and the Heart Foundation, the Rockers, you know, Bolsheviks, Bushwhackers, it was, it was very similar, right? Where there were, were, were real teams. And uh, you didn't think they would ever break up. You know, now everything kind of feels sort of temporary, right? Like, you, yeah. you know, it's not going to last. Like, you know, you can look, look, look at Orton and Riddle, you know, fun, great tag team. But does anybody think that that's going to be a, a real team for very long? You know, and very entertaining. It's just, yeah, it was, yeah, it was a different time. And, uh, and uh, it was fun. And I, was, I always say, dude, like my, my career peaked at the peak of professional wrestling. You know, I don't know if we'll ever see a hotter time again. And uh, I just had, I happened to, my, my personal career peaked at that time. And it was something that like nobody can ever take away from you, right? So it's pretty cool. Definitely, mate, definitely. And, and I say it to a lot of people all the time. There have been guys I've had on the show that are actually quite disappointed in their career. But when I, I point out to them that they've been hired by one of the biggest companies in the world during the hottest time period, then they kind of think to themselves, oh, well, yeah, actually, I was pretty lucky because there are thousands of pro wrestlers around the world that would wanted that spot that never got it. You know what I mean? Dude, not me. I'm so thankful for everything. I've had such an amazing ride still. Like, I mean, still to this day, I'm doing, you know, stuff. I go, how is this happening? Dude, I'm having a, a, a video call right now with a dude in Australia. You know, I grew up in a little town in Westbrook, Maine, self-taught, 180 pounds, scrawny little kid. And uh, some dude in Australia wants to talk to me. You know what I mean? Like, it's pretty cool. Like, you know, tomorrow uh, I have two shows this weekend up in uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, which is about 10 hours from from here. So I'm going to rent a car and my daughter and I are going to take a little road trip for the next week. And uh, I don't even know where we're going, but we're going to, you know, have those two shows to do and uh, she'll get to be there. I get to spend a week with my daughter on the road, just a little road trip. So that's, you know, something I wouldn't have been able to do otherwise you know uh, march i'm going to the uk for two weeks and you know i didn't know how i was going to do over there what the feedback was going to be and started with one show and then added a second show and then the second show wanted a seminar and then next thing you know we have six sold out seminars and 
I'm doing something every single day between autograph signing seminars and shows sometimes two things every day. So it's like, dude, this, this, it's, it's crazy. Like here I am 48 years old on the other end of, um, you know, what was the peak probably, but I'm still riding this huge wave and having a blast with it and more, you know, and it's really more fun than ever. And I think I appreciate it more than ever now uh, just because of what I've been through. And I think you value things like this a little bit more as you start to get older. Uh, I mean, Saturday night, I had my first in-person autograph signing in, uh, in Queens, New York. And it's like, 15 degrees outside and i pull up to the it was a, a comic book store a toy a toy comic book store and it's freezing in new york city and you know here's this line of you know it's probably 15 20 people deep waiting to get in there and i'm just like how is this like this is how is this my life you know it's just crazy and then they, you know everybody there was just so awesome and just genuinely happy to to be there and you know to be able to meet those people and and uh, at this point, I just appreciate it so much more. It's very emotional, honestly, at times, like just thinking about like, you know, where I've been to the last, last, you know, year or so even, you know, we're going from working for WWE again to leaving on my own and, and uh, having to make that decision and not knowing, you know, hundred percent, am I doing the right thing? Here I am leaving the largest wrestling company in the world for to go back to gig life really you know and working for myself and not knowing what it was going to be but i could tell you this dude zero regrets so far it's been amazing i'm booked like solid right up through may and uh going around the world and just doing what i love again and having fun man so what a crazy life <laughs> absolutely i'm really happy to hear that it always uh makes me really happy to know uh you know some people don't have regrets and they're very happy with where yeah, I don't understand that sometimes like nobody forces you to do this right like if it's that bad you can always walk away and go do something else you know for the, so, so for the people that get negative about it and act like they were shafted in some way and they deserve something else like man like nobody's making me do this at any time I can go find something else to do but I instead I you know I try to find a positive in it all it's you know it's not always great it's uh you know you spend a lot of time away from home and uh there are no guarantees, but I mean, in today's world, what, what are there for guarantees in the workplace? You know, you know, people that have, you know, at least here, people work for a company for 30 years and then they're, you know, they're fired for a younger person, you know, like, so I I don't know. I don't think it's just wrestling, you know, like you got to make the best of whatever you're doing, you know? Yeah, I agree. Um, And I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about too cool now. Um, and, And this was something that I, finally I get the opportunity to bring up with you <clears throat> I kind of think I know what the answer is going to be but we'll see uh so I had some previous guests on my show uh, I was lucky enough to interview PG-13 uh Jamie Dundee and Wolfie D uh before I think they just had a recent falling out with one another but in that interview I think they kind of felt like that their gimmick was was given to you and Brian with two cool uh and that they were kind of like just pushed to the side even though I think they'd already been out of the company a couple of years at that point uh, I just want to give you a chance to 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 uh, respond to that uh, after all these months months uh, what do you mean months? I, I, I interviewed them months ago I mean sorry <laughs> yeah it kind of makes me sad dude like uh like those guys are friends of mine and like I lived with them for a little bit in 93 when I was in Memphis and I've been hearing this a lot lately so apparently they've been right. doing recent interviews mm. saying like and I, honestly, like if you look at some pictures of both teams, you can see some parallels. But dude, to say that we stole their gimmick or or what, like, come on, like, uh, how is that? Like we had, like we were dancing. There was a worm. There was a three way dance. Like, w- like maybe a little bit in a look, if you want to say something. But I mean, I think that they're reaching. You know, um, they were there. They had a chance to get over. And uh, they did it. They didn't do it, right? Like, I mean, it sucks, man. And uh, uh, I, I disagree with them, you know. And, and it, it makes me sad that they're saying out there saying that, especially twenty years later, right? Like, you, what? Somebody came in and stole your character? Was it like? I, I don't know. I'm I'm a little bit baffled with it all, you know. 
I mean, we're, no, I we're, was anybody else thinking about that? You know, has anybody else thought, oh, wow, they, they stole it? Like, I don't know. Like, uh, I think they, I think uh, John Cena's name was also brought up as well. So I kind of thought, man, it was like John came in and did that character like years afterward. Okay. So John came in after I did. So, but I've never yeah. once said he stole my character. Right. <laughs> so, like, if, if, if he did, I apparently wasn't doing my job good enough. Like there's just, if somebody else is able to do your character better than you are and they're able to run with it, like, I don't know, but I've never sat back and said he did that. You know, I, I feel bad that they're, they're saying that, man, honestly. I understand. I, I didn't want to make you feel bad. I just uh, thought I should bring it up uh, in case anyone who follows our show was hoping that I would bring it up. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so uh, let's get back to Too Cool. Uh, the debut happens uh, in June. Uh, I, I wanted to know, um, did you two ever like kind of get together to, to work on dance moves? You know, whose idea was, you know, it to, to go from too much to too cool? And did you two kind of, I don't know, have to work together on, okay, what are we going to do for our entrance? How did that all uh, work out? Um, no, they they had came to us, meaning uh, to, you know the office WWE, and said that they wanted a, a, a like a three way victory dance, and that's where the, the dance came in. Um, I had already been doing the worm in the ring a little bit, but it, you know not to the extent that it event, eventually became. But uh, you know, and, and like when we were too much, even we we did a little bit of goofy dancing around, you know. So we just yeah. amped it up more when we became too cool, and uh, you know they wanted the three way victory dance. And, uh, you know, Brian kind of choreographed that whole thing. And you know, we remember rehearsing it backstage somewhere in like upstate New York when we did it for the first time. And I'm a horrible dancer, honestly. So it was a stretch for me. It was hard for, it was, it was hard for me. Um, I did some break dancing when I was younger, but that not, you know, not, nothing with choreography or where I had to be in sync with somebody else. So, um, and if you go back and you look at that early Too Cool stuff when we when we're, to Kurokishi stuff when we're first doing it, like, oh, it's it's cringy to watch because I'm so bad. <laughs> I am I eventually got it down okay, but <laughs> yeah, no, I have to give you credit because like if 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 I was asked to to dance to the ring, I don't care. Like I'd need a few beers in me before I would even feel confident in what I'm doing. But to, to yeah. go out and there. And that's basically and what the character became was like I was like the <laughs> atomic white guy in the club at 2 a.m. after having a bunch of drinks, you know, because <laughs> let's face it, dude, we can't dance. Most of us can't dance, right? Like, and you see them like, but at 2 a.m. after a bunch of drinks, they think they can dance. And that's basically <laughs> what Scotty Tuhadibi was, you know, I was that guy who thought he could dance. So I was way over the top and confident in it, but I wasn't very good. Um, I got to ask about this. You know, the big man comes into the group after there's a little bit of a, a, a Brian hurts his knee. Uh, so it's about five months break. But by the time you guys get it back together, in comes the big man, Rikishi. Uh, why did this work so well? This just works so well. I, I it's, it's unexplainable, right? Like on paper, it sounds pretty awful. But it was, and you know, I can remember when they, they they told us they were putting Rikishi with us the first time we were going to do this dance. It just, it didn't sound so good, you know, but dude, that very first night after we went out there, like the reaction we got from the crowd and you just felt it. Sometimes you just got to feel things, you know, and it was just, it was, uh, I always just describe it as magic, you know, it was like just magic when, when the three of us got together and, and whether it was a, you know, in the ring or autograph signings or whatever, whatever, there was, a, there was just a different different chemistry there yeah i just from uh from my fan perspective it just seemed to just build every single week and the crowd reactions got bigger and bigger starting to get a little bit of goosebumps thinking about it it's uh and you know you you would hear jerry on commentary say the w-o-r-m and then as time wears on you start hearing the fans and the audience you know, half of them will start doing it. And then eventually, finally, they're all spelling it out. It just built and built and built. How does that make you feel? I mean, that must have been incredible to see that this act that you guys have been all put together was just going off so well. Yeah, it was crazy. Like, it snowballed so fast. I mean, we were put together and we returned in 
October, Brian and I came back in October after his knee injury. And that's when too cool, like really started, you know, we had, we had shot a backstage pre-tape in like May and said that too much was no more. And, you know, we were now too cool. And then the next day, Brian tore his ACL. We came back and, uh, in October, late October, I believe it was. And when we went to survivor series with, you know, Hardy's edge and Christian, we were teaming with the Hollies. So we were still heels at the end of October yeah. around December. Uh, I mean, that was November survivor series. And then December, I believe they put Rikishi with us. And then if you think Royal rumble of Royal rumble of January in January, is when we had the incredible moment in the in the middle of the, the Royal Rumble, or you know, magical, like like crazy moment, right? Where we were just yeah. super super over baby faces. It felt like at that point, you know. So it happened fast. Yeah, it was crazy how it just seemed like that this had been an act that had been going on for a long time. It just got so so very quickly. It became so established as a big part of the show and. Uh, the, the next section I have to talk to you about is the one that I'm probably the most excited about. Um, it was vivid for me remembering this back when the Radicals came in from WCW. Uh, soon into their run, they're all winning championships and one of them is Dean Malenko. Uh, I'm very excited to hear about all this because, uh, you know, Brian had once again kind of re-injured his knee uh, and then all of a sudden you and Dean uh, are put together for a bit of a program heading towards uh, uh, Backlash 2000 on April 17th uh, in State College, Pennsylvania. Um, but through the TV headed towards this pay-per-view, you have these matches with Dean, which are just phenomenal. And I just wanted to ask you about how you felt about working with Dean Malenko, because it really felt like that this was, uh, this is a singles uh, program with you that I remember more than any of the other singles matches you may have had. You and Malenko just seemed to really click. Yeah, it was, uh, again, it's kind of unexplainable, right? Like you take two totally, and that, honestly, like it's not unexplainable. This is what makes pro wrestling to me so so awesome. Like you take two characters that are polar opposites and then you throw them in there together and see what happens, right? And I always say like, you know, if, if you have Dean Malenko versus Dean Malenko, it's, you know, uh, okay. If you have Scotty Tuhati versus Scotty Tuhati, it's okay, right? But then if you take a... Dean Malenko character versus Scotty Tuhati character and put them together, then you get like this, this awesome thing. Right. And that's what makes what we do so awesome. And, you know, and especially as a fan, like if you don't like one thing, just wait till the next thing comes out. It's supposed to be more like a variety show. Right. So you have all these, you have comedy characters, serious characters, you know, <clears throat> whatever, all these different types of characters that make what we do so cool. And uh, that, I think that was a perfect example of, of, of that. You know, and I mean, I loved working Dean. So fun. Like we, I worked him probably more than anybody in my time in WWE. We had so many matches that people didn't even see on live events. And I think we worked like Velocity or whatever the show, Saturday night show was at the time, like a million times, you know? And then we used to joke because we would get to TV and then we'd look at the board and it's Scotty Tuhati versus Dean Malenko again. Like how many times are we going to do this? You know, but that backlash match just had something. I don't know. It didn't feel like uh, all that special at the time, but as time has gone on, it's, 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 uh, it's one that people always talk about. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. And I wanted to correct myself earlier. I said uh, April 17, 2000, that was when you won the light heavyweight championship. Uh, backlash was uh, 13 days later on April 30th. But one uh, thing I wanted to ask about, <laughs> The, the backlash match there at the EMCI Center. Uh, my mind was blown from that avalanche DDT Dean hit on you off the top. Yeah, so was mine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Were you okay after that one? Did that, uh, you know, did that knock you a bit silly at all? Or was that perfectly executed? It was okay. I, I dodged a bullet for sure, because it was scary. Like yeah. watching it back, is like, I don't know how I didn't do more damage, although, I did end up having uh, neck fusion not too long after that, within like the next year or so. So I don't know. Like I, I did a lot of stupid things to my neck over the years that just I think added up. But yeah, I definitely dodged a bullet on that one. <laughs> yeah, I remember watching uh, the pay-per-view uh, live and I literally jumped out of my seat when it happened because I was like, 
yeah, it was it was pretty intense. And if you haven't seen it, I, I, anyone out there, I'm telling you, check out that match that they had at Backlash in 2000. Um, okay, uh, an, another special moment that I had to bring up. I mean, you've had the opportunity to uh, to have been the light heavyweight champion, but this is something that you and Brian have been working towards. And again, to bring up how uh, busy that tag division was at the time, General Motors place in Vancouver, May 29, 2000. You beat Edge and Christian for the tag team titles. How did it feel? Oh, again, that's a surreal moment. You know, like all of a sudden we're tag team champions in this amazing tag team division, you know, and not only at WWE, but at the time in the world, there were so many amazing tag teams out there. If you look at, you know, what WCW had and then that, then there was us and like just to be recognized as the best at that moment is again, something nobody can ever take away from us, you know, and it's just, and also to, uh, hold those uh, particular belts, you know, it's like those are the belts that I grew up watching, you know, with Heart Foundation and in and, and the eighties, those was, they still had the same tag team belts. So, yeah. you know, they've changed them a few times since. And, uh, but it seemed like for a long time, those were the, the classic WWF belts. So um, awesome moment, man. Definitely. I had to ask you about it. It's just, uh, it's, you know, the, the, uh, and I really wish that they would go back to that design for the tag titles, but oh well. Um, okay, uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, in 2001, uh, you start getting some problems with your neck. Uh, Brian gets released whilst this takes place, just as WCW was bought by the World Wrestling Federation. How did that make you feel, you know, being kind of like uh, you're injured at that point in time? Uh, and now, you know, all these guys are going to be coming in now. How did that make you feel at the time? Well, we didn't really know they were all going to be coming in. You know, we didn't know what was going on. It was a weird time, you know, because they were, that was a legit war, you know, mm. like, and there were, um, it was weird because you have all these guys coming in that they were the enemy, basically, you know, and uh, it was a very un uncertain time. Nobody knew what was going to happen. And then all of a sudden they did start coming in and, um, it was just, it was, it was crazy time, man. Like nobody ever thought that that was going to happen, you know? Yeah. Crazy as a fan, especially, uh, and disappointing with the outcome of the, of the angle in the end there. But I don't think it was ever going to work out the way that everyone had dreamed of. Uh, but you did get back in the ring a few months into the angle. Uh, and again, just to talk about the, the, enemy coming over the WCW boys settling in from your perspective who fit in the most from the get-go when you got back oh uh, probably Hurricane Helms Shane Helms <laughs> you know uh it's funny he, you know he was a WCW guy right but now he's such a WWE guy right like yeah I mean he's great dude great dude I've had some awesome time I mean we've been around the world even after we left WWE we did so many cool things together outside you know and you know, Chile, in Chile and Ecuador and, you know, South America, uh, you know, here in the States, like just, uh, but uh, who else? I mean, I think Booker T, you know, was a good fit. Um, and then uh, the, uh, the rest of them kind of just kind of, kind of seemed like fell, fell by the wayside a little bit, you know, I can't think of anybody else that really, really made it, right? Mm. Am I forgetting anybody? Um, I guess you know, when I think about it, I mean, Chuck Palumbo had a bit of a longer run there with a lot of the other guys that came in initially. Uh, trying to think, Chavo, of course. Uh, yeah, uh, Chavo too, right? He is an Eddie, so. Eddie and those guys <laughs> came in first, right? But uh, yeah, um, and you know, Chuck's a Chuck's a uh, uh, you would think he would be like custom made for WWE, right? You thought he would have had a great run there, and and I mean, he did not that it was bad, right? But uh, um we had some fun matches too like he was a great dude and uh i remember we did a rikishi and i worked the fbi in uh singapore i believe it was and it was just like it was actually it was like uh, we were we did singapore uh south korea and perth on the same tour um one show in australia but uh and we worked those guys the whole time i believe but those guys were always fun to work with Awesome, awesome. Yeah, no, uh, I was at that Perth show. Uh, that, I believe, was my first ever WWE 
That's live cool. experience. Yeah, man. Uh, got to meet Johnny the Bull and Doug Basham, who were very, very nice to me, my friends. I just saw Doug this weekend, actually. This past weekend, I just saw Doug for the first time and I forgot probably 10 years. Yeah. Great guy. Great guy. I had him on the show as well. He's a really nice man. Um, okay. Uh, teaming with Albert, uh, where he was uh, infamously known as the Hip Hop Hippo. Uh, seeing him smile for me after seeing Prince Albert and, and the the heel Albert for so long, seeing him smile just didn't seem right, but he did do good uh, working with you. I liked the team. How did you like working with him? And did you ever get sore ears from him yelling so much in the ring? <laughs> <laughs> that was, uh, that, uh, that team was actually our idea. We had been friends for, for a long time. Um, I met him before he even had his first match. Actually, he came to a show and he, I think he was training with Kowalski at the time, but he hadn't had an actual match on a show. Um, first time I met him, um, so we had actually pitched the idea and the, our, but our idea was more, he was going to stay more serious and I was going to still be the Scotty too hottie. And they didn't want that. They wanted the big dancing guy with me. And I think it would have worked better the other way. You know, it seemed like they really liked us at first. That was the feedback, you know, after our first match together, it, oh, it was great. And Pat Patterson was oh so good. And I remember edge was like, Oh, you guys are our new, my new favorite tag team. And, and then really nothing. They didn't really ever do anything with it. So we were hot one day, cold the next. So sometimes how it goes. So I understand. Uh, and I, I guess this is uh, the part kind of uh, in your career where uh, the neck problems really do start to set you back. And they set you back a, a solid 18 months there. I remember when you returned, it, it, been, it is for me as a fan, it been so long. It felt really weird. Oh, my God. Like. Because at the time I wasn't looking on the internet. I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't read the dirt sheets or whatever. I didn't know what had happened or anything like that. That was kind of what it was like being a fan in Australia. You didn't quite know why someone suddenly disappeared. Uh, so after all that time you came back, I was like, oh, I wonder where he's been. Uh, so after all this time, now I know where you were. What was the process like of, of, of being away from it for so long? It was okay. Um... I mean, I stayed pretty busy with appearances and stuff like, but I had also just had my daughter who was four months old, I think when I had my, uh, about four or five months old when I had my neck surgery. So I basically got a whole year at home with her with, you know, exception of some appearances at like, uh, the WWE restaurant in Times Square. But so it was pretty awesome. Man, honestly, Took another couple of screws, a couple couple of screws in the neck for a year off paid. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's good then. That um, it gave you time to be with your your young daughter. Um, you did come back, and and you know, this is interesting because like sometimes you're hot, sometimes you're not, and then you come back after all this time and hoping to get hot again. You team with Keish, uh, you win the tag titles again, and you get to defend them at WrestleMania 20. So. Did this kind of feel a little bit triumphant for you that you could go away all this time, but come back and, and go back and, and work with Rikishi and, and get hot again and, and, and get on the biggest show of the year? Yeah, for sure. I mean, WrestleMania 20, Madison Square Garden, Tag Team Champions, like doesn't get much better than that, right? Like, um, I don't think we ever got as hot as we once were, the three of us. It was just something special about the three of us together. Mm -hmm. um, but... Uh, it was still it was still awesome. I, I honestly think like that's when I really learned how to work and how to work an audience was my that that during that tag team run with Rikishi. We just had a formula that really worked and we played well off each other. And I just really learned a lot about timing and psychology and and like I said, working an audience. Yeah, and uh, you know, speaking of the three of you finally getting back together, I wanted to bring up the old school Raw when uh, Too Cool and Rikishi reunited on June first, twenty fourteen. Quite some time after uh, the team first got together back in the uh, in uh, the two thousand era, um, defeating future WWE champions Drew McIntyre and Jinder Mahal, as well as Heath Slater in three MB. After all those years. How cool was it to get back together with the other two and, and, and have this moment of nostalgia, I suppose you could say? Yeah, it was cool. Uh, you know, and to think like that was our last time on WWE TV together, the three of us, you know, we went back for that one. And uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was really cool, you know, and to do it with uh, 3MB was pretty cool too. You know, it just seemed like a natural fit for us to do something with them. So 
yeah, it was, it was, it was awesome, man. Like I'm so thankful for everything I've ever been able to do, you know? So to, uh, it would have been cool to know, like that was going to be our last time together, but I guess you don't know that when it's happening. Right. Yeah. But last time together on WWE TV. That's it. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to kind of bring things to where we are now. You just had, uh, in my research again, your first match in six years, on New Year's Day, in the on New Year's Day for GCW's Die for This against Joey Janela, how did it feel after all that time to to get out there and, and be in front of their 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 audience and and work with Joey? That was it was awesome, man. It was uh, a bit again a bit surreal, and I didn't know what their reaction was going to be, you know. Um, but it was again, it was, it was it was emotional at times for me. I just remember like after, you know, because I wasn't sure what the reaction was going to be. But I remember making my entrance and then standing in the corner, you know, and looking around and, you know, they're chanting your name and welcome back. And uh, it was it was awesome. Like I, I didn't I never said I was retired, but I didn't know if I would ever have another match again once I started coaching. You know, actually, a couple after a few years in with WWE as a coach, I was like, OK, I guess I'm done. You know, but I was never like, OK, this is going to be my last match when I had my when I had my last match in 2016. Um, so it's it's I'm, I'm I'm having a blast. man. I'm out there, like I said, busy and just trying to do unique things and have some cool life experiences. And to me, it's not all about the money. So if I can do something cool and go somewhere cool and meet some cool people like I'm there as long as I keep saying, hey, if it's fun, I'm there. If it's not going to be fun. I have no interest in it. You know, give me all the money you want, but it's not fun. I don't, I'm not interested. That sounds cool, man. Uh, I, I really dig that. And uh, I, I guess I, I should, people probably get angry at me if I don't ask about uh, your time working. Uh, I, I guess you're working the performance center. Is that correct? Yeah. I, yeah, man. I would expect you to ask that, man. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm very, you know, again, very thankful for it. I had an awesome experience. I had no idea how much I would love coaching. Um, I fell in love with the job. I fell in love with my talent. You know, you create these relationships with your talent that, that I didn't never realize that I would have where, to the point where they become almost like your children and you're watching them grow and they go through high school, which is the performance center. And then all of a sudden they go off to college and, you know, and then, you know, you, you, I'm sitting in the gym and on the treadmill and I see my people up there on the TV in the gym, you know, or maybe it just might be a commercial or, you know, see Street Profits doing all these commercials or, you know, Lacey Evans doing different TV shows. Like this is a girl I taught, you know, how to throw a punch and named her punch with her and like saw her grow. And, uh, you know, and they had at that time, they had no idea what they were going to become. You know, they, they, you know, they all have dreams and goals, but there are no guarantees. Right. So to see it paying off for them after they've left me and seeing them do stuff that I remember working with them on in the ring is pretty cool, man. Like, so I'm, uh, I'm very thankful like for that time. And, you know, not, not only that, like now I'm doing, you know, I'm doing seminars and coaching seminars and I learned how to coach. I never went through a wrestling school, so I didn't, I didn't know how I would do as a coach, you know, cause I never did drills or, or, or classes and, so I've, I've kind of put together my own stuff and I do these seminars now and just try, I try to keep everything positive and keep a positive outlook on everything. And, and, uh, and to, you know, try to teach these, these people that want to do this, like, like you're the only one that could hold yourself back, you know, especially today, man, like you can be your own promoter with all these social media outlets and YouTube and like, you can create your own own vision and you can become who you want as a character and you can you can put it out there you have control over that you know and as i do at this point you know and uh promote yourself like you're the only one like you know and there's so many different uh ways to make money with this now that there weren't before with companies like pro wrestling tees or cameo or like if you make your make your value like big enough you can do all that stuff and you know you have this different different means of income from it i think you know so, uh, uh, again, if it wasn't for my time at the performance center, I don't know if I'd want to go out and do seminars at this point. So I met, I worked with some amazing people, incredible people, um, people that be friends for, for life, you know, in that time. And, uh, I never dude. the last show I did was the WrestleMania on sale in Dallas, you know, in cowboy, da in Dallas Cowboys stadium, 
you know, which is where WrestleMania will be. And, you know, I did the on-sale show. We had like, you know, I think six matches maybe, you know, at the on-sale. And the very last segment that I worked on was with, it was, it was Reina, uh, Raquel Gonzalez with, um, against Dakota Kai. And it ended with Rhea and, and, and uh, Raquel standing tall in the ring together in Dallas Stadium, who were two, you know, they're, they're what I call, like, I have my guys and my girls, you know, people that I feel like I was close with and had a relationship with. And they're, they're my girls, you know. So when I saw them, like, blossom and, and grow and, and gain a confidence that they didn't have. Um, when I first met them and, and, you know, now they're both superstars and they're, you know, uh, at one point, you know, they didn't know, I didn't know what they were going to do, but now here they are standing in the middle of Dallas Cowboys stadium to close the show. And I'm, I'm working on that segment. So that's a great way to go out for me. You know, I'm happy with that. And, you know, to, to walk away on my own was a goal of mine. Uh, and that's what I did. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't happy um, on a day-to-day basis uh, with what was going on there. And, and with what they were wanting me to, to, to teach. And uh, I just felt it was time to go. So that's what I did, you know. Right, fair enough, fair enough. And, and I'm happy for you. And uh, I, I guess another question I wanted to have as we get to the talent here, Scott, was uh, a typical day as a trainer at the Performance Center. Could you just, you know, what would, what would the process be from the moment you wake up to the moment that you finally get back and, and, and get to bed? You know, that a whole day as a trainer in the Performance Center. Actually, it was a pretty it was a pretty good gig. Uh, it was it wasn't like I was working full full days. I would go in, I would have you know maybe a two or three hour class, um, and on most days, you know, so, but then other days would be like a TV day where I'm in it, you know, for a class from ten to noon or whatever, and then you know we have production meeting for for uh, TV the next day, and then you know it ends up being a twelve hour day. So it could be either two hour day or 12 hour day. Um, but, uh, well, you know, most of the time it was just two or three hour class and, uh, it was great again, man. Like, and most of the time I wouldn't go in with a solid plan in mind because I wasn't sure who was going to be in the class, you know, I might have 18 people in the class, but only four show up. So it's hard to plan anything, you know, I think that the, that machine there is running a hundred miles an hour. And uh, you just don't know from, from day to day who you're going to have. But so we just kind of go in and we, we, we'd work with whatever, whoever we have and whatever we have to, to work on and what they want to work on usually, you know. Excellent, excellent. Uh, I guess uh, another question I have for you was, I, I feel like you might have a unique perspective on, on some, something like this because you, you were a part of the, the WWF, WWE through uh, a few different eras there. You know, if you talk in the mid '90s, I know you were doing enhancement stuff, but this is kind of like the uh, new generation. And then there's the Attitude Era. Then, of course, uh, you know, there's all the other crazy things going on with the Monday Night Wars and WCW, and them getting bought out. Ruthless Aggression, that era as well. Um, these are all times when when uh, the television product is is getting a, quite a lot of ratings, and uh, the product is is pretty solid stuff. From your perspective, what do you think WWE could implement from those previous eras that you've seen all the success in um, that may help the TV product and maybe get the ratings back up to a, a higher a higher rating than it uh, has been? Honestly, I don't, I, don't, I don't work for them anymore, man. So they can do whatever they want. I'm just, uh, uh, I'm having fun with what I'm doing. You know, they can do what they want. Um, it's their company, and that's and that's why I walked away because uh, I'm not going to change them. That you know they're a billion dollar company, and uh, it apparently works for them. It's just uh, I didn't want to. I wasn't on board with what they were doing, so uh, you know, best of luck to them. You know, and, dude, I'm still a fan. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to sound bitter in any way. Um, it's it's up to them, man. Like, I, I'm I'm busy, and I'm out there doing what I want. So honestly, I don't care. <laughs> cool, bro. Cool. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, it's easy to play. It's easy to play uh, sideline or, you know, critique when you're on the outside and you don't know what's going on. Like, oh, and I'm on the outside, man. So it's really not my business, you know? Yeah. I understand. Uh, do you have any other goals, uh, anything that you, you still want to kind of tick off the list that you haven't uh, accomplished yet in your career in pro wrestling? 
Um, I still want to wrestle in Mexico. It's crazy. Ooh. I've wrestled all over the world and I don't know how many different countries, but I haven't wrestled in a country that, you know, is connected to us, you know, so I'm working on that now. I want to go to Mexico at least once. Um, I want to wrestle some of the, my NXT people that were released, that were in my classes, you know, Steve Cutler and Wesley Blake. And, you know, I know they're going by different names now. Kona Reeves, um, uh, those guys, you know, um, uh, Karrion Cross. I'd love to work with him and Scarlett. You know, there's, there's all these people that uh, I had relationships with that, that got released who are really good at what we do. Um, so I think it would be cool to do something with them outside of WWE, you know? Excellent, excellent. And before we get to our final segment, I wanted to give you the opportunity to plug anything that you wanted to plug, uh, any of your social media. Where can everyone out there find you? Um, best thing is just Instagram. I know I'm in the process of changing my Twitter and my Facebook page. They're still Scotty Too Hottie and the Scotty Too Hottie. My Instagram is the Scott Garland. That's what eventually everything will be. Um, so just social media. Uh, I'm 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 very uh, reachable through social media. I try to keep all my dates posted and and all my little adventures posted on there and everything that's going on. So, um, like I said, social media has given us such an awesome platform to promote ourselves that. And if you go to one one of the social medias, you can you can easily find the other one at least on all of mine. So everything's connected. And I also have the YouTube channel now that. I plan on, I haven't added anything for a couple of weeks now, but I have a lot of old matches, uh, you know, pre WWE matches that I want to add to that. And then, you know, stuff going forward that I want to be able to add to that. And just, it just gives me another vehicle to promote myself. So, um, you know, I know you can upload, you know, stuff to, to the Instagram and stuff as far as videos go, but I just thought the YouTube channel would be something cool for longer videos. So, yep. um, yeah, man. Sounds great. And everyone out there, all of those links will be on the description there on YouTube uh, when this interview finally goes out. Uh, please, I implore you all to follow Scott and what he's up to. But Scott, we get to the final segment here of the show. It's called Five Second Frenzy. You've got five seconds to answer each question. Even if you break the five seconds, it's okay. It doesn't really matter. Uh, first question, Scott, favorite wrestler? Shawn Michaels. Excellent. Favorite opponent over the years? Oh, I always go Hardy Boys, Edge Christian. We always had great chemistry with those guys. Definitely. Uh, I know this is a very difficult one as well, but if you could pick one match, what's the favorite match you've performed in over the years? Oh, um, Monday Night Raw, February of 2000. It was 10-man tag. With myself, Brian, Rikishi, Rock, and Cactus against Triple H, X-Pac, Benoit, Perry, and Malenko with Eddie on the outside, Tori on the outside, Stephanie on commentary, Paul Barra comes back with Kane, New Age Outlaws <laughs> run in. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't, Eddie, Eddie Guerrero on the outside, and I, you know, after he uh, injured his arm there, so he's on yeah. the outside in a sling, so... Just a cool, and the crowd was electric that night. So it was just, uh, and that was one of those things, like we didn't realize how special it was going to be at the time, but, you know, as time's gone on, it's it's something that people bring up a lot to me. Absolutely. As soon as you mentioned it, I was like, I know exactly what you're talking about. It was amazing. Uh, moving away now from wrestling, do you have a favorite book? Uh, not really. God, since the iPhones come out, I don't read anymore. <laughs> I used to read on the planes, you know, but now my phone is uh, now my phone is my go-to. I really don't, man. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, favorite TV show? I don't watch any TV. I don't have cable. I have a few streaming things. Uh, don't really. Uh, I mean, the last thing I really sat down and watched, and I and I lost. Uh, I fell off in like the eighth season, I think it was, was The Walking Dead. Fair enough. That's a good choice. Uh, hopefully there's an answer for this one. Favorite film? Oh, my go My go-to is always the first vacation, uh, which was like, a 19, like 1982, but uh, Clark Griswold and, you know, the family going to Wally World. Like to me, like <laughs> that, that movie was just so well written. Like every scene was funny and, and it still holds up today. 
<laughs> excellent, excellent. Uh, favorite musical artist? Oh, it changes from day to day, but probably I'll go with Kiss today. Like to oh, me, Kiss right. is like uh, Kiss is so pro wrestling. They have their <laughs> they have their show. I've seen them three times on this tour, and their show is just so dialed in, so entertaining. It's it's so pro wrestling. Like it's every song has some type of gimmick in it. You know, as far as a live from from live live show perspective. Um, it's, you know, and, to, and I use them a lot. And uh, actually, in my, my classes and seminars, like, like, they're a perfect example of like, what are you buying? Like, what are you selling with pro wrestling? You're really selling? Are you really selling wrestling? You know, just like kids, are they really selling music? No, they're showing they're selling a, an experience in a, in a live performance, which is what wrestling should be. You know, they're characters and they're a band that's never had a number one hit. But they yeah. sell out arenas at 72 years old. They're still <laughs> selling out every night, you know, and putting on a great show. And that's what people, that's what wrestling fans want to see. They want to see a great show, you know. Um, you don't walk away from a wrestling show and go, wow, what a great clothesline that was. You know, that guy has some great clotheslines and hip tosses, right? Like, you talk about the moments, you know. You talk about the worm, the stink face, the people's elbow, the people's eyebrow. You know, you smell what the rock is kick cooking. I mean, Austin 316, you know what? Like, you know, those are the <laughs> things you remember, right? Like, uh, so, it, you know, it's, I, uh, back to Kiss, like I, I use them as an example. Like, uh, it's funny, a I met- Fantastic uh, example. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I met um, ACDC. Uh, back in the early 2000s went to a concert and uh, I met them before the show and Brian Brian Johnson the lead singer he said to us uh, he said you guys do the same thing we do it was me and a couple other wrestlers at the show he said you guys do the same thing we do you come out you bring them up you bring them down you bring them back up and you send them home happy and I was like that's crazy that this dude gets that you know what I mean like it's so true like that's yeah. what people want they just want to escape their life you know their, their problems and their real world bills and all that stuff and whether it's wrestling comedy or or a, or a concert they just want to go out and have some fun and, and you know that's something that I try to hit home in, the, in, the, in my seminars is like you have to give them moments and, and, and make them forget the real world for, for a minute you know and and uh, they don't want to overthink, you know, sometimes I feel like we force them to, to, to think they don't want to think they want to be spoon fed a story and just have some fun. Yep, very good point. And uh, I, I really dig the answer there because they're one of my favorite bands too. Um, finally, getting away from the arts now, Scott, favorite food? Lobster. Very nice. Uh, favorite place to eat on the road? Oh, Man, I don't know. Uh, I'll just say Waffle House because that's probably where I go more than ever. You know, <laughs> I don't. I would. I don't really eat it at home, but on the on the road, like you always, it's always consistent. You know, you know what you're getting, and uh, uh, it's always it's every place, whether it's here or you know, two thousand miles from here, it's 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 the same food. So I'll, I'll go with Waffle House just because it's it's it is probably where I eat the most on the road. Excellent. And that's probably the number one answer of this segment that I've had. Uh, favorite alcoholic beverage? I'm not sure if you're a drinker, but if you're not, uh, just favorite beverage in general. No, I don't drink. Uh, favorite beverage? Uh, iced tea, I guess. I mostly drink water, but let's go with iced tea. Very nice. Good answer. Or co uh, coffee. I'll take that back. I'll go with coffee, man. I'm a coffee addict. <laughs> Okay, I was thinking cold good. drinks. So. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, the second last one here, Scott, it's the naughtiest one. Favorite female body part. You see a good looking lady. Where will Scott Garland's eyes like to go to first? Uh, well, I have a 20 year old daughter who might listen to this. So I'm just going to go with her eyes. Fantastic answer. We've had that a few times on the show. <laughs> Never has to be a rude one, uh, <laughs> uh, but very good answer. And uh, the final one, uh, Scott, and I don't think you've said one curse word on this interview, but it's supposed to be your favorite curse word. Oh, probably the F word. Yeah. <laughs> 
probably yeah, what I go you. to the most. So interchangeable, man. Like, <laughs> you can say it's it funny. I can't. And it's funny. I, like you know, I don't. Swear, I didn't swear on here, but uh, like if I if I'm around wrestlers or talking wrestling, it's just kind of like I can't talk wrestling without swearing. So it's it's weird, you know. <laughs> yeah, I've seen Kevin Nash do an impression of Pat Patterson uh, coming up with a finish of a match, and it's uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's funny stuff. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Scott, I wanted to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me here tonight for me today for you. Uh, it really meant a lot to me because you know, as I said before, I became a wrestling fan in the uh, late '90s, and you guys were on my TV every single week. So. Uh, you're a part of very cherished memories of my life and uh, just to have had the opportunity to sit down and have a bit of a chin wag with you about your career means a lot to me and I hope you are so proud of everything that you've accomplished in the business. Yeah, well, thanks Carl, thanks for having me on man. Hopefully we'll uh, get to meet in person down the road, hoping to come back to Australia. So hopefully you can uh, come out to one of those shows, man. I appreciate your time, dude. Excellent, bro. And if you do come down, I will be there front row and center. So thank you again, All right. <laughs> Thanks, Carl. Thanks, mate. And thank you, everyone out there, for watching the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I'm California. This is Scott Garland, and we will see you down the road. Thank you.